And we ask for your blessing upon this study today, another important one, understanding um, this category of obsessive-compulsive disorder within a biblical framework. Give us wisdom, give us compassion for one another, but uh, help us to learn how to speak the truth in love, to be discerning, to let our love grow in all discernment and knowledge. And I ask your blessing upon this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so turn to your sheets, please. First point, we want to ask as usual, is what is OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder? Who in here has never heard that expression before? I'm trusting everybody has heard the expression or the phrase obsessive compulsive disorder. It's, it's fairly common to hear someone say, I have OCD, or to um, just speak that way. Maybe they haven't been diagnosed by a psychologist of having OCD, but they know what it is, and so they they be like they they might say like I'm OCD on this particular issue, uh, meaning they they have some uh, obsessive patterns and habits related to that particular issue, whatever it might be. But I'm I'm confident that you've all heard of it, and it, it looks like you have. So uh, it is a common ailment that people claim to suffer from. Um, one of the more common ones, alongside anxiety disorder, alongside ADHD. So this is another really common one, which is why I bring it up in, in this class. I don't want to go over all the foundational stuff that we've talked about up to this point, except to say, and just a reminder, and this is kind of the main point that I try to weave through everything, that these labels are built upon a naturalistic, materialistic foundation. These are just a naturalistic, materialistic way of assessing, assessing problematic behaviors and, and labeling them. That's, that's all this is. Okay? That's, it's, it's one way of doing that, and we are going to suggest another way. Uh, both biblical counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists can observe the same kind of problematic behavior and agree that it's problematic. But then we differ on how we interpret it, the why it's happening, and how to treat it. Okay, so what is OCD? <clears throat> Now going just to the DSM, right? We're just going to go through the DSM one by one here and point by point. It says in the, the uh, DSM, it is the presence of obsessions, compulsions, or both. Makes sense because that's the name of it. Okay. But it gets a little more detailed than that. Obsessions are defined by these two things, recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or images that are experienced at some time during the disturbance as intrusive and unwanted, and that in most individuals cause marked anxiety or distress. Okay, so you have this, this urge, this intrusive thought, an urge that is unwanted, a thought that is unwanted, and because it's unwanted and because it, 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 it comes up and may, perhaps it's, it's startling or it, at the very least it's unwanted, it now is producing in you anxiety and distress because you don't want it and you're afraid of what might happen if you entertain it or it might cause you to do something bad or, or, or whatever. So it is, it is intrusive and unwanted and it, and it causes anxiety or distress. Uh, the individual, number two, the individual attempts to ignore or suppress such thoughts, urges, or images, or to neutralize them in some other, uh, with some other thought or action, usually by performing a compulsion. Okay, so this is where the, the phrase comes in. Now, there is such a thing, apparently, that people claim to have, something called pure OCD, which is simply to say it's only the obsessive part. 
They only obsess, they don't necessarily need to do a compulsion to, to, to settle their anxiety. But uh, nevertheless, more common is, is people having OCD where they have an obsession and then they complete a compulsion in order to relieve the anxiety that have been, that's been created by that obsession. We'll give some examples. I actually dug up a few examples that are quite remarkable where people's lives are just absolutely wrecked by this kind of thing. Uh, compulsions are defined by, number one, repetitive behaviors, like hand washing, ordering things around your living environment or your work environment, or constantly checking things like, is the door locked? Is the stove off? Is the door locked? Is the stove off? We apparently have OCD, love. Anyways. Yeah, yep, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yep, and I did it twice last night before I went to bed. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, number two, the behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing. This is, this is key here. The behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing anxiety or distress or preventing some dreaded event or situation. That is key, and that is pretty consistent. You know, the DSM, in terms of just the way it observes the behaviors, it's, it's quite good, actually. I mean, it, I, I agree with... In terms of just, these are the behaviors, like I'm just, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's quite insightful because that is the case. What, this is common, that individual feels driven um, uh, in, in response to an obsession or according to the rules that are, must be applied rigidly. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. Beha behead, uh, repetitive behaviors. And number two, the behaviors are mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing anxiety or distress. That is common among people who claim to suffer with OCD that they are doing these behaviors in order to reduce the anxiety uh, or stress or because they're afraid of something terrible in their life will happen if they don't do it. That is, that is common. And so uh, the DCM, in terms of gathering data of people's, observing people's behaviors, it's, it's, it's quite good in that sense. The, the way it goes off the rails is interpreting the data, that's all. But in terms of just talking about the behaviors, and what people are doing and reporting to do, it's, it's, it's helpful. And that's what people are doing. The behaviors or mental acts are aimed at preventing or reducing anxiety or distress or preventing some dreaded event or situation. The examples I'll give you, you you'll see what we're talking about. However, these behaviors or mental acts are not connected in a realistic way with what they are designed to neutralize or prevent or are clearly excessive. So as we'll see in a little bit, people will have these certain routines that if they don't do them, they think that their family's gonna die but if someone objectively watching be like, there's no connection between you arranging your shelf and your family dying, right? There's no, there's no rational connection. And as I'll actually say later, it's superstition is what it is at basic. But that may sound a little harsh, but we'll talk about what superstition is at root. But nevertheless, another, another component is that people that do these things, typically there's no rational connection between their, the fear and what they're trying to, the, the act that they're doing in order to neutralize the fear. Okay. The, this is where the problematic part comes in now. The obsessions or compulsions are time consuming. They can take up to one hour per day. There was uh, something I watched on YouTube. YouTube is a treasure trove for, of these, for these things, by the way. Uh, you can just, you could watch for hours. And um, some of it quite tragic, not because you want to be enter entertained, but just to get informed. And some of these things are quite tragic. One man is so trapped in his home, he, 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 he cannot leave. He has to get things in absolute perfect order, and he's obsessed with the number 12, and that kind of 
shapes everything and he, his anxiety is so overwhelming that he is just kind of shut down his whole life. Work, relationships, his wife and his kids are just distressed and out of their mind because of his troubles. It's become very problematic. Um, so and you watch it and it's, it's distressing. It's, it's quite sad, right? We want to have compassion. This, this is someone who's, who is truly in bondage. And Scripture has a category. He is in bondage. He is enslaved. Um, so obsessions or compulsions are time-consuming or cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Okay, so their life is being overrun by these things, overrun by these obsessions and these compulsions that they, they attempt to perform in order to relieve their anxiety. Uh, the obsessive compulsive symptoms are not attributable to a physiological effect of a substance. So what they do is in this situation, they, they, they try to discern, the, the psychologist, the psychiatrist, they try to discern whether or not these thoughts and acts are being caused by perhaps a drug that they're using or have abused or medication they might be on. So OCD, in order to be truly diagnosed in the, in the DSM sense, they have to determine that this is not being caused by some other factor like drug abuse or medication. Uh, and then the disturbance is not better explained by symptoms of another mental disorder, right? So then you'd go through the catalog of the other mental disorders and you'd, if you're a psychologist or psychiatrist who's assessing these things in a, a patient, then you would go through the other uh, disorders in the DSM and say, no, this, this OCD diagnosis fits. In short, a person with OCD struggles with obsessions about cleanliness, harmful events in their life, and so on, and must satisfy those obsessions with a compulsion, which is a repetitive action, hand-washing, setting certain things in order. One gentleman, as we'll talk about in a minute, uh, has, could only drive on even-numbered streets, and so he'd drive all, I mean, he hit, well, we'll get there. Uh, this one person explains it well, this neurologist, she says, uh, Obsessions are anxiety-based thoughts. Anxiety is a response to a perceived threat. Compulsions are designed to reduce, the, uh, reduce and protect from the perceived threat. I, I think that's pretty straightforward. So you guys understand what this is first, in terms of what people are, when they are struggling with this, what they're doing. They have the intrusive thought or impulse and it creates anxiety. In order to reduce the anxiety, they perform a particular compulsion, and that compulsion does bring some relief, but typically what you see is it just, it typically snowballs. It doesn't really bring ultimate relief, and it has to be done over and over and over and over and over constantly, and actually builds, and people who start with small compulsions, actually, it can mushroom and just take over their whole life. The person that I referred to in terms of obsessed with the number 12 and is overtaking his life, it, 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 it wasn't all of a sudden he woke up and boom, there he was with these major obsessive compulsive behaviors. It, was, it grew slowly and over time, and it wasn't dealt with right, rightly. All right, here are some examples just so you can uh, get a feel for what people are struggling with, right? And, and slavery really, I think, is the right word here. And so it does require a spiritual discernment, compassion. I mean, I, I was watching these, and it's just, it just it tears at your heart, honestly. Uh, for example, <clears throat> this man wakes up in the morning. He's in his, probably in his 30s, 20s or 30s. He must blink three times before he gets out of bed. 
He must open and shut a door three times before he walks through the door. He has to open it three times, and then he goes through, and he has to do that three times. Um, he showers twice in case the first time he forgot to wash some parts of his body the first time. He checks his throat in the mirror for 15 minutes to make sure he doesn't have cancer. For breakfast, he has three to pieces of toast toasted for three, um, three minutes and 33 seconds. How can that be? That sounds like too long. It'd be burnt toast. Pardon? Okay, there you go. Um, and then he cuts them into thirds, spreads the butter three times, puts three spoonfuls of sugar in his tea with three different spoons and stirs three times, then drinks three sips of tea. Then he spends an hour before he goes to work to make sure the house is orderly. Um, and then he says, then I spend one more hour making sure the house is completely tidy and in order. Sometimes I try to stop and I try to control uh, myself from doing these things, but it's impossible. I feel like something terrible will happen uh, and I get uh, tense and I can't breathe. And going to work is an odyssey. In other words, it's just, he has to, he has to put the house in, a, in, in an order, in, in, in the perfect order. And if he doesn't, he begins to get, and sometimes he can never feel like he can get it the way he should get it. And therefore, he has a hard time even leaving the house. Uh, I'm always late, though I get myself up really early just to try to give me some time but I always find something to fix around the house. And this is where it gets, so then he leaves the house. If there are patterned bricks or cracks on the ground, I can't walk on that line. And if I come to a street with a little uh, small bricks, uh, I have to find another way around no matter how long that would take me. And I can't take every step I make. And if I lose track, then I'd have to go back and I'd start again. Okay, so would you call that bondage? That, I would call that bondage. Now, maybe that's too, maybe, maybe people think that's too strong of a word. Maybe that you, they think that's unkind. But not if that's the real diagnosis. T biblically speaking, that to me sounds like bondage. You are in bondage. I don't think they want to be doing those things. He, he recognizes this, this, is, this is really wrecking his, his life. So, uh, that's just an example of one man's daily routine. Uh, it's grown over time. It began with smaller, obsessive, compulsive kind of behavior, and it's grown now to this serious situation where it's overcome his, his life. OCD behavior uh, is, can be caused by a desire to repeat good days and avoid bad days. Listen to this testimony by this young man. I think he's in his um, early 20s. He said, quote, when I was younger, I would say if I was going to school and if I had a really good day in school and everything went really well, the next, uh, then the next day I th would think that I have to do everything the same way that I did the day before in order for me to have a good day again. And if I did not have everything in order like I did the day before, then that day would not go well. Okay? So then he started performing these. He, it began with, okay, I had a great day at school today. So now, in order to have a good day again at school, the next day, I need to do every single thing that I did that prior day. And they, you begin to think that if you don't do these things in a particular order, in a particular way, then you're not going to have a good day. 
And so here you see the development of these obsessive compulsive disorders. You could see how it begins small. Well, I got out of bed at this time, and then I made my bed this certain way, and I organized the, the, the pillows on my bed a certain way, and then I put a, wore these pair of pants, and it was this color, and it, right? And it starts small, but then it starts to mushroom, and now you're doing every small, tiny, little detail in order for you to have a good day, right? Um, OCD behavior can develop from thinking that was brought on from a traumatic experience, okay? In this, this kid's case, his name is Tyler, um, he said, it, he thinks it began, it began when he was 10 years old, he's playing football, a tackle football, and someone tackled him with a sharp chin strap and it severed his bicep. And he had to, it was pretty serious surgery and stitches and so on. And he says, following that I became very scared. I was scared to leave the house. I was scared to be without my family. I was scared that something bad was going to happen to me. You, you hearing a common theme? Right? This is where the, the DSM is insightful. That, that is true. That is the case with ODC, OCD sufferers. That it is the fear, likely, or I should say most of the time, that something bad is going to happen to them or to people they love. Uh, so there's overlap here with anxiety disorder. Um, well, uh, he said, um, I started to have intrusive thoughts like something bad's going to happen to me if I leave the house. If I'm away from my family, something bad is going to happen. If I eat this food and it happens to have germs on it, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to end up in the hospital again. I have to wash my hands tons of times because I feel like no matter where I go and no matter what I touch or who I come in contact with, somebody has a disease or there's some illness on the countertop and that I need to wash my hands. Okay? Now we'll talk about this uh, later, but do you, you start to see that it's not just the OCD behaviors. There's something deep underlying a concern, a fear. In fact, I think fear is one, probably the most common ways of describing the underlying issue here. Uh, but but it get, for this, unfortunately for Tyler, it gets, it gets uh, worse here. He says, uh, I was in the fourth, and fifth, fourth or fifth grade and my mom said, all right, it's time to go to bed. I've been watching a football game and she told me to go to bed and I was so angry that she had said that. I said, I hate my room, I hate this bed, I hate my room, I hate this house. The next day, the house burns down. And so he had this, and he says, I had this superstition in my head, and I said, oh my God, I caused the f house fire. Even though it was because of a gas leak, I still feel like I caused it. And so I always thought if I say something out of line or if I don't do something to kind of satisfy my thoughts or my compulsion, something bad is going to happen, and that's where my OCD came from. It was because of that incident, and I was convinced that uh, it was because of me so for me, OCD is present in everything. Okay, do you understand his situation? You can see it developed very clearly from a traumatic experience and then another significant traumatic experience. And he develops this thinking and this deep down fear that if he doesn't do these certain routines, then he's, something bad is going to happen to him or something bad is going to happen to his family. Okay. Next question on your sheets. Is OCD diagnosed by a medical procedure that identifies a biological cause for the behavior? What do you think? No. No. How is OCD diagnosed? 
by the symptoms, by the behaviors. You go in, Tyler goes in to the psychiatrist, psychologist, explains what's going on, lines up with what has been labeled something called OCD, you have OCD. No medical test. Now you have to be discerning at this point because some websites will make it kind of almost sound like there is a medical test because the physician is testing, they're doing blood work with someone who suffers from OCD. Do you know why they're doing blood work? They're doing blood work to rule out an organic cause. And this is the, this is the kind of the big contradiction with, within uh, the whole psychological establishment. Basically, they're, they're saying, so, so you have to just be discerning, the website, websites you read, a physician may require a blood test for someone with OCD symptoms, not to identify a biological marker or a biological cause, but to root out any organic causes, or to rule out any organic cause. Okay? So, no, there's no test for OCD. Um, quote, now quoting, what am I quoting? Um... Oh, the Cleveland Clinic, legit organization. Uh, there's no test for OCD. The, a healthcare provider makes a diagnosis after asking you about your symptoms and medical and mental health history. Providers use a criteria explained in the DSM-5 to diagnose AC, OCD. Okay? So it's, it's not a diagnosis in the traditional sense of the word. It's not looking at symptoms and identifying an underlying organic cause. That's a, it's a, that is a medical diagnosis, and that's what the word is historically meant. It's not that. It is simply an affirmation of one's symptoms. Uh, and a physician may order medical tests to rule out other underlying medical problems that may be giving rise to the OCD symptoms. But this is not saying that there is an actual test for OCD. There are no medical or biological, there is no medical or biological test for OCD, nor is, there, nor is there any convincing evidence of a biological or neurocognitive markers for OCD. Okay? It's just, boy, we have to we keep on hammering that home because the way that mental illness is framed, it's, it's very confusing, I think. Okay, what is the typical secular treatment for OCD? and this is now the Mayo Clinic, quote, obsessive compulsive disorder treatment may not result in a cure, but it can help bring symptoms under control so that they don't rule your daily life. Depending on the severity of OCD, people, some people may need long-term ongoing and more intensive treatment. The two main treatments for OCD are psychotherapy and medications. Often treatment is most effective with a combination of these. Okay. All right, so now let's ask the question, how should we assess OCD biblically? Can we? Or is this, just, is this just out of our purview? Is this out of our jurisdiction? Well, I would say absolutely not, because these kinds of behaviors, they're clearly um, enslaving. Scripture has something to say about enslaving behaviors. But in these cases, the underlying root cause is what? Fear. Fear. And Scripture has a massive amount of knowledge and information on the topic of fear. That's what we saw with our discussion of anxiety disorder, right? Uh, okay, I want to just recommend this book to you guys. 
as a helpful desk reference if you're ever interested. It's called The Christian's Guide to Psychological Terms by Marshall and Mary Asher. Super helpful. Um, just, I mean, it's, and it's exhaustive too. Every single disorder you find in the DSM is in here. And uh, narcissistic personality disorder, psychological description, biblical description, one page, boom, there you go. Doesn't mean need to be the end of your research, but it's very clarifying. And it helps you see how these so-called disorders are addressed in the Bible. Okay? So really helpful. Uh, this is just, I just got this one. I had the old version. This is the revised and updated version. You have to continue to pump out revised and updated versions because you are continually having changes with definitions and of disorders and so on. So this is the latest one, and so I recommend that to you. And make, make kind of your thinking through these things a little more uh, easy. You don't have to go through all the, the rigor that I have in order to get some clarity on these, these phrases and terms. Yeah, Marshall and Mary Asher, A Christian's Guide to Psychological Terms. Really helpful, second edition. Uh, so they. So the question is, how should we assess OCD biblically? And they, these folks here, they rightly note that many OCD behaviors are rooted in ungodly fear. Ungodly fear. That's not sophisticated. It's not scientifically sophisticated. Um, the the word ungodly may sound harsh and unkind, but we need to accurately diagnose in order to accurately prescribe the right remedy. So it's, it's of no help to, to kind of paste over and sugarcoat what the real issue is, right? You, you want someone to, if you want to change, you need to know what the, the real issue is. And so I think they are right, as we've seen in some of these examples. Uh, and the examples that I was referring to, these examples weren't, set up by biblical counselors. I was just going through examples of people talking about their OCD, and they're not Christians, they're, they're just people struggling with OCD. And so it's not as though these things are being framed in, in order to make it sound like, it, it's not as though it's being framed by biblical counselors to make it sound like people struggling with OCD uh, have an underlying problem of fear. This is from their own mouths, okay? Uh, and intrusive thoughts are a common difficulty of life due to our sinful nature, nature in the fallen world around us. That's another important point, right? But the Christian is repeatedly instructed in Scripture to exercise self-control with their mind and their heart. We saw this last week. We've seen this throughout uh, our study. Proverbs 4.23 Be vigilant to guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. From it, your heart flow everything. All of your actions flow from your heart. So guard it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 said that we are to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Every thought. Thoughts don't just come in and come out and we just kind of are victim to our thoughts. No, we, we the I, the, the person who we are, the, the new person, the new I, is able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in, in, in uh, regeneration, able to actually take thoughts captive, recognize their their goodness or their evil, and in the case of evil, replace with what is true. We have the power to do that. And uh, we're instructed in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to have our minds constantly transformed. Do not be conformed 
to this world, but have your mind constantly transformed. And we need to be active with thinking upon what is true and good, Philippians uh, 4, 6. These people are who are, and you know, some of us may have what you might call OCD behaviors. We, uh, we have to get to the root of that. You know, I think you could say that constant checking of the doors, whether they're locked, you, I could probably dig down and see, am, am I trusting the Lord? Is there a trust in the Lord to, to, to watch over us, to watch over us at night, you know? Uh, and ultimately trusting the Lord to always watch over us and, and, and nothing can come against me if the Lord doesn't allow it. And if the Lord does allow it, then it is in His sovereign hand. And so there's this underlying trust in the sovereignty of God, you could even say about constantly checking the doors and, and so on. So, but my point was that these people who are, that I described at the beginning of our lesson, they're not at peace at all, right? But listen to where Paul says peace comes from. He says, um, finally, brothers, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have received and learned and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We've already noted that someone standing objectively outside the person who's really enslaved in OCD, they can see that there's no rational connection between your routines and what you're hoping to neutralize by your routines. You, you know, you arranging your figurines on the shelf in a perfect order has nothing to do with whether or not your family is going to die tomorrow in a car wreck. That, there's just no connection, right? So in, in that case, you are, a, you are dominated by something that is not true. And if you're dominated by falsehood, you can't expect to have peace. Paul says that's why prerequisite to experiencing that peace is dwelling on whatever is true. A believer has the internal ability due to regeneration in the Holy Spirit to overcome, reject, and replace intrusive, sinful, fearful thoughts. Merely saying no to the thoughts or trying not to think about them usually makes matters worse. Inception, right? Uh, try not to think about elephants. What are you thinking of? And he goes, elephants, right? I love that movie. Anyways, um, right, you, you try, okay, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. And what happens? You, that's all you're doing is you constantly think about it. So biblically speaking, it's not just not think about it. It's put off and put on. Think on what is true. This is where biblical memorization is so crucial to be able to bring the truth of Scripture to that very problem, to replace that sinful fear with the truth of God's Word. And it's not easy, and it takes time for it to get in the heart. It takes repetition for those things to get in the heart. But that's where Paul says the peace will come from. Uh, a person who is obsessed with performing certain tasks to satisfy their mind uh, out of fear of what will happen if they don't complete tasks are in bondage to a false view of reality. A view of reality that does not rightly include the sovereignty of God. Um, just a few texts on this. Daniel 4, 34 and 35. This is where we're going to start talking. This is going to address the issue of superstition here. Daniel 4. Just a, just a few words about God's 
meticulous sovereignty. Nebuchadnezzar, as he, after he had been humbled, finally came to his right mind, and he said, He blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. I, I believe Nebuchadnezzar is saved, by the way. That'll be exciting. We'll see him in heaven someday. But this is what he said for his, about God. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say to His hand, uh, or stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is utterly sovereign over all things and there's nothing you can do ultimately to thwart his sovereignty or his plan. The idea that your mundane actions can somehow create a, a, uh, a fundamental change in the universe so as to bring about or not bring about some traumatic event is to fail to recognize the sovereignty of God over all things at basic. Uh, Isaiah 46.10 For the Christian, the, the sovereignty of God should be the greatest comfort that we have. That nothing comes into our life. No suffering, no good thing. Nothing comes into our life apart from His sovereign control. He says this in Isaiah 46.10 I'll just start in 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not done, yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my uh, purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from the far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. God is in control of, of, of everything. Everything. Every future event, current event, everything. Uh, Ephesians 1.10, God will bring all of His purposes to pass in Christ. Uh, Matthew 6.27, by worrying, can you add anything to the span of your life? Jesus said no. He, he, he reminded us that you ultimately don't even control the length of your own life. That is in God's hands, your Father's hands. So, what this means is that many OCD behaviors are super, superstitious at basic. And they may, they may sound harsh, but that is what they are at basic. Uh, that young man, Tyler, he even admitted that they were superstitious, didn't he? Remember, he used that word superstition. A superstition is at root a belief that you can control reality by some ritualistic action. That's what superstition is. You believe that your ritual can control reality. You not stepping over that baseline can bring it about that your team will win today. If you step back and ponder it, it's quite arrogant. Superstition is arrogant because you believe that you can somehow alter the fabric of reality by your ritual. Um, we're, I, we're trying to teach our kids this actually at an early age. Um, Ellie especially, Colton doesn't really do it anymore, but Ellie will sometimes say something, we got to do this so that this will happen. And I'll say, Ellie, that's superstitious. You can't control reality. You know, some, um, like we'll be playing a game and she needs to do things in a certain order so that um, this good thing will happen and this good thing will happen. I'm like, Ellie, th that's, that's superstitious, right? You can't control reality uh, by your rit rituals. Um... Here's another important point. 
OCD behaviors usually center on the self at the expense of serving others. Someone who's, obs I mean, the, the folks that I heard from this week with regard to OCD, they're enslaved in such a way that they are useless to other people. Useless. They're not serving or helping or doing anything good. And if they are, um, it is greatly hindered. They're not doing it nearly to the capacity that they could. The one gentleman is, is regularly late for work. This other guy can't even leave the house and his family is falling apart because of it. So these behaviors, they are centered on self because um, they cause a person to use their time inefficiently rather than productively. When you are enslaved to the kind of cleaning and ordering of things that takes hours or that is even not even ultimately necessary, you're not using your time well. That's not a good use of time, is it? And so what's, what's happening here is that there's a real curvature in on the self and no longer are they serving or focused on others. It is enslaving. So you want to help someone be freed from this. Yes, to, to relieve the personal angst, of course, but so that they can be freed to serve others with their time and with their life. Uh, this is, I think, um, yeah, this is Asher again. The person must, quote, focus on loving God and his neighbor by replacing fear with love. He must put off fear and put on love. For instance, he can love his neighbor by ignoring his fear and choosing to use the public restroom so he won't inconvenience others. So he's referring to a situation where someone is so fearful of using a public restroom that when they're out with their friends, they, their friends have to now completely inconvenience themselves and do something totally out of the plan to make sure that this person doesn't have to use a public bathroom and so they have to go and, and find some sort of place so they can relieve themselves that's not a, a public place. And, and now what you're doing is you're, because of that activity, you're requiring others to bend at your will and you are inconveniencing them rather than saying, I'm going to, for the sake of, out of loving my brethren, I'm going to actually overcome this fear and not inconvenience them. By loving others in this way, we will overcome and eventually eliminate our fear in this particular case. And this person must choose to obey out of love for God. Um, another important thing that they bring out is this. I thought this was interesting. Um, a, a Christian with OCD behavior should repent of wanting to avoid the fear experience. Rather, in the fear experience, to turn to God and serving others to overcome the fear. Remember how we talked about anxiety? One of the attractive features of, of anxiety medication is the ability to kind of remove anxiety from, from the life. When that's not God's will at all for a person. Anxiety can be a very good thing. In fact, the lack of anxiety can be an ungodly thing in certain circumstances. You need anxiety, believe it or not. We've been told that anxiety is sinful for so long, it's hard for us to even hear that. But no, actually, we need to feel anxiety, right? And God never promised us a world where, in this fallen world, we're going to be completely free of fear, but that we need to obey out of love for God in the face of fear and out of love for other people. Um, okay, Christians with OCD behaviors often have underlying spiritual and theological problems that give rise to the behavior. Uh, 
this is, this is crucial, as we'll see here in this story of a, a young Christian man named Brian. Particularly, a person may be trying to cover their guilty conscience through self-atonement or keeping things orderly and organized in order to control their life by doing certain rituals in order to keep bad things from happening. That's just legalism. That's all it is. And you'd be surprised, I think, it deep down, a guilty conscience will give rise to irrational attempts at self-atonement. Like this Brian, he, will, he can only drive on even-numbered streets. And it's like, wait, how does that please God? Like, and, and he eventually admits that, I don't know. But it was completely irrational. But it was, the underlying issue was this attempt at self-atonement. Uh, relief, oh, I'm sorry, let's see. Um, in this case, a person needs to be taken deep into the gospel so that they will find true repentance and atonement in Christ. And so here, helping someone see the riches of all the, that Christ has done for them and all that that means and the, the sufficiency of that sacrifice and the comprehensiveness of it and the eternality of it and the way that you access it and the way that you are constantly accessing it by faith each day, every moment, to unearth and un, un, uh, 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 root up this guilty conscience and cleanse it. I'm, I'm just persuaded more and more that so much of what underlines mental disorder has to do with a guilty conscience. I, I just am persuaded more and more the more I read, the more I see, the more I observe these things, that a guilty conscience, this, this attempt at self-atonement, is so pervasive and so deep that it gives rise to, like we see here with Brian, even irrational activities to try to self-atone. Uh, relief from OCD behavior starts with, doesn't end with, but it starts with a robust understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. The forgiveness of all of our sin is in Christ, not in anything that we do. Our behavior and thinking will never be perfect. Let me say that again. Our thinking and our behavior will never be perfect. But we are not accepted by God due to the perfection of our behavior or our thoughts. We are accepted by God for, either, or for neither of those reasons. We are accepted by God because of what Christ has done and because of that alone. God justifies the ungodly. If, if we get that, then that need for a self-atonement is going to be greatly evaporated. Christ's sacrifice covers all of our past, present, and future sin. Christ sacrifices once for all. God justifies the ungodly. And these aren't just truths that get you converted. These are truths that need to be constantly rooted deep down into our hearts and refreshing and, re and renewing our mind every single day because of our legalistic bent to want to self-atone. We must repent of our sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors before God in light of this sufficient atonement so that we are not building up a guilty conscience constantly that is going to give rise to these OCD behaviors. And here's Brian's story. Um, like we mentioned, he went to a biblical counselor because he's a Christian young man. He went to a biblical counselor because he's finding, he's starting to notice that some behaviors in his life are becoming particularly enslaving, especially that he could only drive on even-numbered streets out of fear that something terrible would happen to him. So that's, he goes in and he explains that, right? And you might say, okay, well, that sounds like OCD. And okay, you've got OCD, so now let's talk about some practical things that you can 
do. You can, because you can only do that, okay, now you can leave 30 minutes earlier, or you can have these kind of practical strategies. But if that's all you do, you wouldn't have come to find out that he actually has underlying fears, and listen to this, okay? After some more counseling, and what, what you do in biblical counseling is you, you try to get as much data uh, from the person as you can over the first few episodes, or the first few sessions, and they came to find out that he had underlying fears, and this is what they were. He was fearful he would lose his salvation because he was struggling so mightily with sexual lust. His fears of driving were all, and here's what was interesting, his fears of driving were always preceded by episodes of sexual lust. So he'd struggle real bad with his thoughts and, 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 and lust, and then it was very soon, almost immediately after that, then he would have these, this need to only drive on these even-numbered streets. Uh, he was racked with guilt because of this lust, and he believed he would lose his salvation if he didn't atone for his sins. Quote, Early in the struggle, he had conjured up the self, uh, a self-imposed punishment that had to do with while he was at church. He, uh, if he lusted, he would go, kind of go through this process in his own mind. Um, this approach only made matters worse. At some point, he graduated to the notion that he could especially please God if he only drove on certain kinds of streets. This is an important sentence. We were never able to establish any kind of rational connection between Brian's guilt and his behavioral choices. In other words, the guilt was so deep and so pervasive that it was giving rise to irrational behavior choices. Nevertheless, the, the motive was self-atonement, pleasing God. So if you would have just stopped with, uh, he's driving on even number streets, so that's weird, right? And he can only do this becoming enslaved to that and you didn't dig, you wouldn't have found out that actually underlying this is the need for self-atonement. Why? Well, because underlying that was this issue of, of lust. And through confession and repentance, Proverbs 28, 13, uh, an important passage we've, we've talked about before, but what did they need to do in this, this session? Um, this is now, this story of Brian is in this book here, Counseling the Hard Cases, by, uh, editors by, uh, edited by Stuart Scott and Heath Lambert. What did he need to start doing? Well, first, before we deal with the even-numbered streets thing, we need to talk about the confession and repentance of the lust, right? And so that's what the direction they started. Whoever, uh, Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So they needed to now start down the path of talking about a right approach to dealing with uh, lust and temptation, repenting, accountability, confession before God, confession before others, uh, renewing his thinking with the security of his salvation in Christ. Christ justifies, God justifies the ungodly, which means that your sins, even after you're justified, can't undo that because you're a godly, ungodly at the time God justified you. So he needed, and, he, and in Christ holds you in the palm of his hand and he will not let his people go and so on. So his mind needed to be renewed with these truths. He needed to be renewed with the truth that God who started a good work in you will be faithful to finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. So his mind's constantly being renewed now in the gospel as he's repenting of his, uh, his sin and learning how to think rightly about uh, uh, women, and so on. And here's how it ended. Uh, he says, By the end of our time together, Brian acknowledged the bizarre nature of his desire to atone for his sin by driving a particular way. Uh, but we are both reminded that when we ne neglect to focus on the transforming truth of God's Word, we are prone to thoughts, desires, words, and actions that are senseless and even absurd. Okay? And so he was able to overcome this in a significant sense and because they got to the underlying 
root of these obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, let's see, we already talked about God's sovereignty. Just a few more, uh, this will just take a minute here. Some people have obsession over clothing and appearance. Uh, one lady, a young lady, was like would spend four hours in the mirror, like because you know, the one, if if she didn't get it just perfect, then her, she's going to have a horrible day, and people are going to think she looks like a mess. How would you address that? The person is consumed with what others think will think of them, uh, and or if that they don't look perfect, they, their day will not go well. This person needs to better understand their identity in Christ that they are accepted by God through Christ alone, not their appearance, that God's acceptance of them is infinitely more important of what others think of them. Often when someone does really come to grips with God's acceptance of them through Christ and a free justification that's by faith alone, some of this fear of man just naturally evaporates. Um, And that attention to appearance is meant to be a way to glorify God and be undistracting to others. The person must focus begin to focus more on blessing others than having a perfect appearance so that they do not spend an inordinate amount of time preparing for the day. Um, obsession over cleanliness. A person f- uh, focusing on love, uh, must focus on loving God and serving others and is therefore willing to get dirty for the sake of love. The Christian also trusts God for their health and their life. But a person obsessed over cleanliness may also have some underlying issues related to sin and their understanding of the gospel. They just may not have a right view of sin, right? If you have a superficial view of sin, then you begin to think that there are things that you can do in your life to atone for your sin. But if you have a, if you have a biblical view of the depth and the wickedness and uh, the seriousness of your sin, you realize, oh, there's nothing I can do in my life to atone for my sin, and I need to be justified by grace, though I'm ungodly. Um, so this obsession over cleanliness can be approached from that issue of serving others. It can also be approached from the, okay, let's actually talk about your understanding of the gospel. And uh, that leads to this story about James, not James Hong, but uh, another James. Um, this is not in this book. This is in another book. James came for, or for counseling. A, this is it, and then we'll, we'll be done. Uh, James came for counseling a couple of years ago, struggling with extreme obsessive compulsive disorder. First time we met... Uh, I reached out to shake his hand, and he asked me if I had washed my hands. In addition to this germophobia, James is wrestling with doubts about God and his salvation. They seem to go together. As James and I continued to meet, it became increasingly clear that unprocessed sins from his past and rejection from a recent breakup with a young woman were making him feel unclean, provoking his doubts and feeling his OCD. This was very disorienting and painful for him. It was a joy to use the scriptures like Hebrews 9.14 to help James better understand how the gospel of grace connected with his inner and outer experience of uncleanness. Quoting Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirits offered himself without blemish to God, to purify our consciences from dead works, or obsessive hand washings, to serve the living God. One day... James said that while he was tracking with this somewhat, he was struggling with what still seemed much more physical than spiritual. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't totally connecting his OCD with Jesus' purifying sacrifice. This is where a seemingly obscure passage from Leviticus, which Kevin, had, Kevin DeYoung had preached uh, in 2009, proved to be an invaluable link between a physical defilement and spiritual cleansing. We looked at Leviticus 15, which is all about laws for bodily discharges. James was especially troubled by these kinds of things. 
and God's remedy for physical uncleanness. I pointed out that even these physical issues needed a spiritual sacrifice of atonement, thus showing how our inner and outer selves are related and how God has provided a purifying remedy for both in Christ. This seemed to click with James, and he left encouraged, but little did I realize how this connection between Old Testament ritual laws and New Testament gospel would help set James free from OCD. And then it talks about how James' father sent an email to uh, Kevin and Patrick, the other counselor, saying that his son had been freed from this OCD uh, quite dramatically in, as he was uh, now dwelling on these truths that they had taught him, and um, he had has gone, since foregone the extensive elaborate hand washing with Germex and all these things. Um, and it said, his dad said, quote, I, James said to me, I feel like I have been carrying a heavy burden around with me for years. The changes I have been seeing in him suggest God's lifting that burden. And so, again, they got underneath the, the, the behaviors to see that their underlying spiritual issues related to his understanding of the gospel and, and, and how that applied to his particular situation and he was freed from his obsessive-compulsive behaviors. And so, uh, in, in closing, just to, to say that this particular quote-unquote disorder is something that actually has profound spiritual uh, causes underneath it, and we need to recognize that and to recognize it in ourselves and recognize it in in others, and that scripture certainly does address these issues. And often underlying OCD is fear, and in some cases a, a wrong, in many cases perhaps, a wrong understanding of the gospel and, and past sin and so on. So, um, any questions? A few couple minutes for questions, and then we'll see, survey you about coming weeks. Any questions about OCD? Mm -hmm. kids are right. safe at night, or if it's starting to be rooted in a, something that requires transformation of our mind. When do we know yeah. transition from Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things is that people typically do their OCD behaviors in home by themselves. They're not out, this isn't out in public for whatever reason. Um, and so it, in, in the case of folks who um, live alone, you need to invite people into your life so they can see how you live and so on, and that's what we should be doing in our Christian lives. Um, when I think one of the things that I think it was Asher said or somebody else said, that when these behaviors become problematic, when they start becoming an inefficient use of one's time. So that's one element, because an inefficient use of one's time is when it, when it comes to these kinds of compulsive actions is now you're no longer serving others, you're serving self. What you're trying to do is satisfy this, this, this obsession. And so, all right, getting up, checking the doors, okay, one time, that's reasonable. Um, checking them again five minutes later when you should be talking to your wife, that, and then checking them a third time, right? 
um, or checking that again as you guys are driving away from the house, checking them again, you know, uh, uh, getting out of the car, taking an extra five minutes to go check the house again, even though you just did it before you, like now this is becoming uh, an inefficient use of time that's beginning to affect and inconvenience others. And I think that's probably one of the, the key components of determining how, how has this become enslaving. You always have this kind of outward focus, how is this affecting others? I think that, just off the top, that would be my first first point. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I, I like what Megan said. I think that's right. I think, I think as we are framing our lives others-centric, then it's going to help determine and whether or not it's, it's become problematic and considering motives and so. Because there is an element of responsibility with certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Wash your hands before you eat. Right. Yeah, and there's certain, like we've said with anxiety, that there are certain, there's fear and anxiety kind of built in so that we will make wise decisions. So um, a wise man sees danger and hides himself, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't just, hey, danger, come and get me. No, it's like, oh, there's danger, I need to hide. So there is a certain kind of anxiety and fear that actually creates wisdom. Um, and so there, we do want to be careful, but when, those, when it begins to bring us into an efficient use of time and that's going to affect and inconvenience others, then I think we've started to move into a problem. Yes, Addison. I think another observation is that the human behavior is very rational. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. The irrationality of the connection between Maybe your... it doesn't matter if you forgot if you checked it or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I forgot. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anything else? David. I think to add to the conversation, like I think we have those if it becomes O C D as described. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think to your point that you invite people in your life, like that's why the church is so central, um, and why we need the church to be accountable to one another and yeah. to um, describe what's going on in our lives to one another so that we can if we are blindsided by one of the things that we're doing that we can address it, um, someone else will be able to yeah. deal with it and kind of address it. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Thank you, David. Yeah, I'll be back. Yeah, I do. It's a, a fear of not, not uh, having what you need, not having a certain thing, needing something. You may need it in the future. Um, so yeah, I do think hoarding is, is it OCD? Well, I'd rather say is, um, I think they would, I do think psychiatrists and psychologists do classify it under OCD. Maybe it has its own category now, but I think underlying it is fear. All right, so question. Do you guys want to continue doing uh, a few more categories, or do you, my next, the next thing we are going to do in this class is a walk through the Psalms. You want to transition, we can transition that to next week, um, or we can do this a little bit longer. What would you like to do? Oh, it's, you know, like, there's just becoming a lot of overlap now because, you know, you have so much overlap in the DSM, first of all, but then because you have, you, you have kind of just a few, like, basic root issues that give rise to all of this, biblically speaking, that we could go through every single, you know, we could go through every single label if you wanted to, but I don't think that's useful because I, I think there's so much overlap. So um, it's just hard to say. Crystal. Related to insomnia, that wasn't one I really delved into much. I think, although I did, you know, enough to say that in some cases it is clearly uh, rooted in fear, anxiety, um, a, a view of the world that's just not biblical, disregarding God's sovereignty, and, and so on. Um, and so those things would have to be dealt with. In terms of, like, medicinal treatment for insomnia, I didn't delve into that much at all. And, and so what's difficult is the case that because there isn't clear biological markers, neurobiological markers at this point for insomnia, it's just hard to say sharply that this is a, that this is a biological organic issue. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have guidance except to say that in each case someone comes to me and says they're not sleeping, I'm like, whoa, the Bible has so much to say about that issue, about sleeping and rest, and God gives rest to his beloved and these kinds of things, and there are, there are countless reasons, even last week we talked about there's countless reasons for why people are restless, you know? So I guess for me, it's just first things first, I want to deal with all of that, right? And of course, before you do that, you have someone medically... Um, Examined, checked, so you can find out whether there's some more sort of underlying organic cause. But I just, beyond that, I just don't have much to say about insomnia. Um, but in method, methodologically speaking, I want to first, and when you start digging, it's amazing if people are honest what comes out, right? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, James. Not sure. Maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe you've already discussed this, but did we discuss like schizophrenia and 
No, we never did schizophrenia. I just kind of, so those are kind of, I mean, they're not the same, but uh, we didn't. Uh, we, I could, I, I mean, we could, I could say a few things about that if you wanted me to. Um, we could wrap up by doing a few of those other more like serious things if you'd wanted to do that. Yeah, I think that would be helpful mainly because okay. if we start uh, engaging with other people or talking about biblical covenants, it be, be reasons yeah. that will come up and like, well, what about this thing? What about this? And I think if we are, uh, if we have already talked about at least the major ones that, or the typical ones that we usually hear about, um, I think that would be helpful. Okay. So we'll, we'll finish up then with a kind of, maybe we'll even wrap insomnia into it, Crystal. There you go. Uh, I'll, we'll, um, we'll end with a kind of just one shabam and talk about these kind of major categories. We'll wrap up and then we'll go to the, do the Psalms. Sound good? Okay, that's the plan. So we're not going to be, so probably just two more weeks. We'll take two weeks to just do what David's talking about, James is talking about, and we'll then go into the psalm. Sound good? All right. You guys free to go. Thanks for hanging around.